This morning as we come to hear God's word, we are going to uh, turn back to that passage that we read together from John's Gospel and chapter 19. I'm not going to give all the details of what I plan to do this weekend. Um, one of the things that I was taught in training for the ministry was don't announce your points at the beginning of a sermon because who knows what the Lord will do uh, in the middle of that sermon. And similarly, I know what I've planned for the weekend, but I'm not going to tell you all of that until we come to each service. But, um, God willing, the uh, verse of Scripture, the statement of Scripture that I want us to focus on this morning is found in John 19 and verse 13. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. As with many parts of the Bible, the events of Easter suffer from over-familiarity. We've got that saying in English, haven't we? That familiarity breeds contempt. Well, I trust that uh, with our familiarity today, we will not know contempt. But more than that, I come to this passage of Scripture this morning, believing that while God cannot give more truth than he has already given to us, because I believe that the Bible is uh, all-sufficient for the needs of God's people and the needs of our world, I do believe that God is able to give more light to the Scriptures and give more understanding and help us, I trust, to be drawn closer to our Lord Jesus Christ and perhaps by the end of this service to be able to say with the hymn writer uh, in a fuller and deeper way, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. Today, I want us to focus rightly on the events of the crucifixion. Um, we've got four Gospels. They don't all record exactly the same things. But there are events that are all recorded by each of the uh, Gospel writers. And the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ is one of those events. And um, again, they don't give us all the same points of focus as they record those stories, but they see it from different angles. And from the different records that we have in the Gospels, we have a record of seven things that the Lord Jesus Christ said from the cross. The first thing was a prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus then turned to one of the um, <coughs> criminals who was crucified alongside him. The criminal uh, had said to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turned to him and said, Today you will be with me 
in paradise. And then looking at his earthly mother and um, his friend, he commits her into his care. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. And then we see Jesus in interaction with his God. And I want to stress that point because Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We then told that he says, I thirst. And the final thing that he says is, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. In agony, he cried out to his God. But having completed his work, he then says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But I missed out one of the sayings. It's the sixth, the last but one. It is finished. In English, we have three words. In Greek, apparently, it is one word. It could be translated, it has been finished. Jesus is not saying, I'm finished. Jesus has not come to a point where he feels it has all been in vain and where um, he has been defeated. No, he has come to a point of victory. He has come to a point of security. The, the seventh saying from the cross where Jesus actually says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He knows that he is secure. He knows that um, there is no more threat to his relationship with his father. There is no more threat to um, the purposes for which he had come to earth. So we're going to focus on this statement this morning. It is finished. It has been finished. Well, I want to ask the question, what has been finished? What was finished on the cross? I trust that I will give you three answers this morning. The first one that was finished was the pain of crucifixion. The pain of crucifixion. We refer to this day as Good Friday. We refer to it as good because of what was accomplished. But it was a horrific day in history. Perhaps it was the most horrific day in history. Many people get their theology confused. They think, well, Jesus was God. He was victor over everything. He was in control of everything. And that is true. Even on the cross, Jesus was in control. And therefore, because he was God, 
he was able to control everything. But friends, that is a misunderstanding of what God's purposes were on the cross. Jesus did suffer. He suffered as a man. The physical agony of the cross, in a way, is unbelievable. Probably the most horrific form of execution in history. But it wasn't simply the physical pain. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the crown of thorns. It wasn't the beating. But he who knew no sin became sin for us. You imagine we're here in our Sunday best today, aren't we, even though it's Friday. And it reminds me of a situation that I was in about a fortnight ago. Went out for a walk with a friend. And instead of concentrating on what I should have been doing, which was looking at my feet and where I was putting them, I was looking at a burnt-out wreck of a motorbike. And with that, whoosh, my feet went from under me. And I was thinking, oh, no, the ground was muddy. I had reasonable clothes on, and I thought I am going to get filthy. If that had happened, thankfully, to tell you the end of the story, I landed on my hands, they got dirty, but the rest of me didn't. But you can imagine how I would have felt if I'd been lying there, head to toe, in mud. How I would have felt. How you'd have felt. Magnify that by infinity. The God who was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin, on the cross, took responsibility for our sin. Now, I cannot explain that, but Scripture tells us that he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He learnt obedience by the things he suffered. Never think of Calvary as some sort of anaesthetized, God-given endurance that did not suffer pain. No, our Saviour knew the physical pain of crucifixion. He knew the spiritual pain of going to the cross and bearing our sins. If you want to understand something of the agony, go back to the previous day. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane and see there a man in such agony that his physical body was thrown into confusion and he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus knew what it was going to cost him. He knew the physical pain, but he knew the spiritual pain. For 18 months, he had been saying to his disciples, we are going to 
Jerusalem. I will be arrested. I will be beaten. I will be mocked. I will be crucified. And on the third day, I will rise again. Now, Peter, as he and the other disciples were being warned, Peter tried to stop Jesus going to the cross. There in Matthew 16 at Caesarea Philippi, uh, Peter argued with Jesus, no, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. But even the night when Jesus was arrested, the night before the crucifixion, Peter was trying to stop Jesus going to the cross. And how was he going to do that? With arguments? No, he drew his sword and he wanted to chop the head off one of the men who was going to arrest Jesus. But he ducked and it was simply his ear that was severed. (coughs) Good Friday was a time of both physical pain and of spiritual agony. When I was summarizing the seven sayings from the cross, I pointed out that Jesus, when he was bearing our sins, when the judgment of God was coming upon him because he was taking responsibility for the sins of all his people, he cried out, My God, my God! There wasn't the intimacy of my Father. Jesus knew that there was a distance. Throughout eternity, they had been Father and Son. They had thought alike. They had worked alike. They had been in fellowship with one another. But now, for the the, the only time in eternity... There is some sort of separation between the Father and the Son. Caused by what? Caused by your sin and by my sin. It was agony. We know the pain of bereavement, don't we? And we know that bereavement, that pain, after... A few decades, and even if it's seven decades, eight decades, it's only a few decades in the light of eternity. But when that pain of bereavement comes, we think, I don't know how I can keep going. Multiply that by infinity. And that is something of the agony of the cross for the first time. Father and Son are separated. Why? Because of you. Because of me. Because of Adam. What a tragedy. What it cost that we might be set free. It seemed almost as though the Godhead was threatened. It wasn't. God knew, God the Father, God the Son, knew what they were doing. But it seemed as though there was a threat. For the first time in eternity, there was a separation. There was a division. And yet, 
when the hours of darkness had passed, the blessed Son of God was able to say, Father, there was a reuniting. The judgment had been paid. The cost had been met. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. I don't say this lightly, but as Jesus committed himself to his Father, in effect he was saying, well, Dad, we've done it. We've done it. It was passing through hell, but we've done it. So it is finished. What was finished? The pain, the physical and the spiritual pain of crucifixion, of our salvation. Secondly, the preparation of the Old Testament was finished because the Old Testament was a preparation for Calvary. Everything that happened in the Old Testament was pointing forward. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures referring to the Old Testament um, because you hope to find eternal life, but they are that which testify of me. And everything, all the sacrifices, all the feast days, um, the temple itself, they were all pointing forward to one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was crucified at the Old Testament feast of Passover. Jesus was, if you like, an Old Testament worshipper. He had kept the rules throughout his whole life. He had gone to the cross knowing um, what he was doing. The night before he was crucified, he had eaten the Passover meal with the disciples. But he had also instituted, he had introduced what we today call the Lord's Supper or communion. And Jesus, in effect, had brought his Old Testament people to this point. He had said, everything that has gone before has been a preparation. I am eating the last Passover that needs to be eaten. And he picked up the cup and he says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. At the beginning of his ministry, in that great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had said in Matthew 5, verse 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to complete, to bring to completion. The same word, Jesus um, kept the Old Testament law in order that he might bring it to a fitting conclusion. He might bring it to its climax. Paul 
when he was describing the Lord Jesus Christ, said, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. And he was saying, in effect, there is no need for any more marking of the Passover. That marked and remembered God's salvation as he brought them out of the bondage of Egypt, as he protected them under the judgment of the Old Testament. But here on the cross, Jesus is not a one-year-old lamb, but he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus did not protect his New Testament people from the death of the firstborn, as was the case <coughs> with the Old Testament Passover. But he protected each and every one of his people. When Jesus was on the cross, he was the Passover. He was God's protection for his people. And therefore, there is now no need for any other sacrifices. But on the cross, Jesus was not simply the Passover lamb. Jesus was also the priest who was offering the Passover lamb. Let me point out to you something that is said in same, this same chapter, John 19. Then the soldiers when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. Therefore they said among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. What is going on here? Is it simply, well, we won't rip this garment up? No. We need to go back to the Old Testament. And in Exodus 39, as Moses is told how the... Um, robes and the garments of the high priest were to be made, there was a careful instruction that it should be made in such a way, particularly around the neck, that it would not be torn. The priest's garment in the Old Testament, or the garment of the high priest, was not to be torn. Go back to the night before the crucifixion. And what happened? The high priest accused Jesus of blasphemy. And as he did it, he was so angry, he took hold of his clothes and he ripped them. For the first time throughout the whole of the Old Testament, the robe of the high priest was ripped. The Old Testament, if you like, was negated. But here at the cross, as the soldiers gambled, they said, no, we won't break it. We won't rip it. Why? 
because it was the garment of our high priest. And where is Jesus today? He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's praying. He is our intercessor. His robe has not been ripped. Hallelujah! What a glorious truth. He went to the cross, but he was not crushed. His work was not ruined. He is our high priest. A matter of 40 years later, the Romans came in to Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. Why? Because in God's economy, the temple, the sacrifices, the feasts are no longer needed. The Old Testament has come to an end. Friends, there's a growing trend in evangelical circles for observing the Passover. We don't need to. Jesus is our Passover. He is the final Passover. He is the priest seated at the right hand of God. So what was finished on that first Good Friday? The pain of crucifixion was finished. The preparation of the Old Testament was brought to completion. And thirdly, to keep my alliteration, the propitiation for our sins was completed. Now, propitiation is the anger of God being turned away, being put on another so that it should not be placed on us. Friends, when Jesus died on the cross, we have sung, he died for sins, not his own. He died for the sins of his Old Testament people, for his New Testament people. But he died for the sins of his people. God has said throughout history, in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will die. To put that another way, when you disobey me, you will die. When you fail to love me as you ought to love me, you will know the judgment of God because the wages of sin is death. But friends, when we acknowledge our sin and we look to Calvary, we look to one who has died in our place. We look to the one who has taken the, the awful judgment of God upon himself and has turned it aside from us. Now, there are some of you here today, like me, are old enough to remember a great Scottish preacher, Douglas Macmillan. I remember hearing him on one occasion, and he was describing Calvary in this way. Before becoming a preacher, he had competed in the Highland Games. And he said he was at the Games on one occasion, and he saw 
this man starting to swing, to, to throw the hammer. And apparently once you've got the momentum going, there's no way that you can stop. But out of the corner of his eye, he saw another competitor race into the area where the hammer was likely to fall. And this second athlete ran. He turned himself to the hammer. But as he turned himself, he picked up this child and wrapped her in his arms. And the full weight of the hammer came down on the back of the second athlete. Friends, that is what Christ did for us. The full weight of God's wrath was cast upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So that you and I might be wrapped up in the arms of Jesus. And friends, I don't want to be sloppy and sentimental, but that is what Jesus has done with us. He has stretched out his arms in order that he might wrap them up around us, that we might be protected, that we might be saved. I prayed earlier that Joseph was told that he was to call Jesus by the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to die. He didn't have to die. He was not guilty of sin, but he took our sin. He suffered the judgment of God that we might know peace with God. Jesus lived to die. He didn't live to become the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of this earth. He was the greatest teacher who ever walked the face of this earth. But when his disciples asked him, what life was all about. He said, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Friends, he has paid the price that sets each and every one of his people free. We are slaves to sin, but Christ has paid the liberty price for his people. Isaiah 53, almost 800 years before, tells us that by his death, many will be accounted righteous and that he will bear the iniquity of many and that God shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Friends, God is satisfied. Let me say it again. God is satisfied. There is therefore now no condemnation. To whom? To those who are in Christ Jesus. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. So what was finished on the cross? The life work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had been born. He had lived. 
he had died, and God willing, in 48 hours, we will see that he rose again. He did that for one purpose. Why? That we might be saved. Let me ask you this morning, friends. Are you saved? Are you at peace with God? Or is the day coming when you will know that awful agony of the judgment of God being poured out on you? Scripture tells us that there's a day coming when every knee will bow. For some of us, we will bow before him as Lord and Saviour. And he will say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. For the others of us, we will bow before him as Lord and Judge. And we will hear that awful statement. Depart from me, for I never knew you. What tragedy. It doesn't have to be. It is finished. Paul writes this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you believe that? Do you believe he loved me and gave himself for me? It is finished. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To him be the glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning. And we thank you that we have heard the old, old story. And yet, Lord, we thank you that it is ever new that Jesus died in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we might become the children of God. Lord, for those of us who know and enjoy this truth, help us to revel in it this morning. For those of us, Lord, who are as yet outside of the kingdom, melt our hearts and draw us close to you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we get on with our tune? We haven't got it. Um, do you think you're able to lead us, Mr. Lyshan? Yeah. Do you think you could lead Carl or not? All right, okay. Well, <laughs> the hymn that um, we want us to sing is 562. Um, do, do any, how many of you know... Tis finished, the Messiah dies. Put your hands up if you know that. Okay, we're going to sing without accompaniment. Mr. Lyshan is going to lead us, and uh, we will go from there. Okay?
Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet abiding fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Amen.